Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. As you can hear, my co-host Josh is not here. Wait. What the hell is that? Mike, how dare you do a podcast without me? You son of a bitch! I am back! And I am at full power! <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Um, it's me, Josh Cannon, here in the flesh. Uh, sorry if that intro scared you a little bit, Mike. Um, are you okay? Are you triggered? Are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trembling a little bit, but I'm okay. That's. I, well. I, I was expecting. I was expecting you to turn around and say something like, "I'm over 9,000." It's, it's kind of apropos right now because there's like actually lightning just cracking down in the background right now. Like, it would be and so hot, steaming rain. Yes, pouring down. Uh, it would be so not awesome if the power went out while I was recording this. That would be kind of a um, be kind of an anticlimactic thing with that epic intro we had just then. <laughs> but no, no, I am back, everybody. Um, and you know, uh, this if you're on our Facebook. Um, group, which is uh, uncovering unexplained mysteries. You know, you know what happened. Uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell everyone else what happened at the end of the podcast, and just kind of do a little tribute thing. So, uh, not gonna, uh-huh. not gonna wait, wait you all down with that heavy atmosphere so, starting. So it's out. safe to say that you're back, right? I am back. So yes, I he's am back. back. The man behind the podcast. Oh. All right. Well, that's that that song. I can tell you put a lot of effort into it, Mike. So I'm not going to tear it apart. But I do. It's actually a real. It's a it's a take on on the song. He's back. The man behind the mask by Alice Cooper. Ah, it's an actual song. Gotcha. All I can think of is the beginning of that Eminem song. Guess who's back? Back again. I was thinking about doing that too, but then I'm like, I don't really know that that well. Damn, this thunder is like fucking crazy right now. It's stealing your thunder. thunder Yeah, it's upstaging me. It's upstaging me. So (laughs) so we're going to get to how I've been doing later on the podcast. How the hell have you been doing, Mike? I've been doing pretty good. Um, uh, I finally have gotten some actual job interviews. I interviewed with Burger King, and that was weird because there was a friend of mine who set up the interview, but then I basically had to lie and say that I called, and I didn't really... And then that awkward interview uh, where you sit down and you act like you set up something when you really didn't, and it, it just really didn't work out. Um, and she did, the, the manager didn't call me back either when she said she would. And I was like, I don't really want to work at Burger King anyway, so I was like, I was fine. I'm fine. It didn't work out. Um, but then I got an interview with Firehouse Subs, and I've always kind of wanted to see what it's like to work at a sub shop because I think that be, could be a fun thing to do and it's nowhere near as uh, hectic as working at a Burger King could be because you don't have a drive through to worry about. Right. And there's more limited uh, ingredients and, and uh, particular things that you have to prepare versus at Burger King where you have all different types of stuff and breakfast. Well, and the people hours seem very different. angry at Burger King too. Did you see those commercials on TV where they're like, 
We did a little experiment where we took the Whopper off the menu and it showed all these people. It was like shot in like a hidden camera style thing in the restaurant. <laughs> and I don't watch oh, uh, uh, TV. Oh, it, I, I, the only time I watch TV is when I'm watching a, a football game or a Blazers game. And usually I mute the advertisements or just go and look around on the internet. But this must have been a while back because I remember it. And the, yeah, so like the guy would walk up to the counter. He's like, I want a Whopper. And the lady's like, I'm sorry, sir. We don't have Whoppers. And then everyone's just like, what? What? And then like the, the, the feature, the money shot was when one guy goes, I want my Whopper. And he like slaps <laughs> the table. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, he's not a paid actor. That's that. You want you want to see a good version of that type of reaction? Watch the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas. That's a much better uh, reaction to that kind of thing, where he flips out and he and he he's at this uh, burger place and he's mentioning and talking about the discrepancy between the size of the burger on on the advertisement on on the menu. Versus to what it actually looked like. I've actually seen that scene. I know what you're talking about. And he's like describing the picture and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a really great scene, actually. That whole film is great. I love it. it, it it's it's a, a very underrated movie. Michael Douglas plays a, a very unhinged character. But his character defends is a guy who does shit that we would all... Some simple, well, not necessarily uh, all of the, the shit that he does is stuff that we would like to do, but some of it is. And, you know, to be able to say what we want to say, call out the bullshit of, of things like uh, the, the prices being uh, too expensive in a convenience store versus out of a vending machine, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the, the, the whole stuff involving how... There are people who have these uh, massive uh, plots of land that are just used for golf courses when they could be used for parks for kids to play in and stuff like that. Mike, what would you what would what would your tirade be if you could go on a tirade with like no consequences out in public? Like, what would your huh. thing be? Interesting. Um, I already know what mine would be. I'd probably just call out a lot of people on their bullshit publicly. Like, uh, it's it's you know I I do it to my friends on Facebook and stuff behind and, and privately, but sometimes it just, it would just be so cathartic to be like, you're, you're a dumbass, You're an asshole point out like bad customer service and don't, and not do it in a way that's like, Oh yeah. All right. Whatever. Uh, but like really you stick it to them. Uh, and, and also of course stuff to deal with, uh, certain, uh, things going on in Hollywood. Like I'd love to just rail on, on certain things that are going on. Mine would be waiting in lines. Like, if, if I could do whatever I want with no consequences, I, I would be like, get the fuck out of my way, you slow ass. <laughs> no, me first. Josh Cannon first in traffic, fucking red lights. I, that scene, uh, that that Hulk Hogan movie where he gets stopped by the red light and he pulls out the rocket launcher and he blows up the, re the traffic light. <laughs> I, oh my God. Like, I fucking hate waiting in general. Wait, fucking red lights. You know what my mutant power is, Mike? I have a mutant power. Not a lot of people know this about me. My fucking mutant power is to make any any traffic light that I'm approaching turn red. That's my mutant <laughs> power. I can be driving anywhere, and if it's a fucking traffic light, it will turn red when I pull up to it. That's my uh, power, folks. That You only get one in life. That's the one I got. Wee! But no, that would be my thing. 
<laughs> but um, I would love to if I'm in a public place that's really crowded. I would love to be that guy who would just be like, get up, you know, like stop sitting. It's walking so goddamn slow. That's the thing. Like I would be like, move it, move faster. Because you see that all the time when you're in a mall and you're in these other crowded places. People are shuffling their feet, walking as humanly as as slowly as humanly possible. And it's like, for fuck's sake, like I can can you move? I you can move a little faster. You know what the I mean, you know what the hypocrisy it's, it's is about that insanity. Because I, I agree with you, but the hypocrisy is that when I'm hungry and I'm trying to go and walk to the food court or something in the mall, I am like. I am jazzercising my way to that food court. I am walking so fast. But then when I get full, my belly's full, and I feel nice and satiated, oh my God, I am just walking so slow. I am traipsing. I get, I get that I'm traipsing point. through the I, mall, and then when people go to walk past me because I'm not walking fast enough, I'm like, well, fuck you, man. What's Where's the fire, you know? What's the hurry? But before that, I'm like, you slow motherfucker, get out of my way. Like I'm, I'm, I'm an asshole. I remember dude. when I went to, I went to a uh, flea market, indoor flea market, and it was pretty cool. But it was, a, it, everything was densely packed. So when you have people who are just standing there in the middle of the fucking walkway and talking to their friends or whatever, or on a fucking, I literally ran into a traffic jam with people in carts, <laughs> and, and I, I would love to yell if I could get away with it. Just chew out these people who are not fucking disabled and are driving around in these carts. They're just because there are some of those people. They aren't. They just are fucking lazy and can't fucking walk around. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this is a podcast about the show Unsolved Mysteries. Um, we talk about segments off the We'd show. We'd love to, to uh, chew out John and Terry, too. That, that you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the beloved... Uh, YouTube channels that we do not endorse and we knew nothing about, but we just heard through the grapevine. Well, yeah, but no. a beloved YouTube channel that was reposting um, Unsolved Mysteries episodes got taken down. So poor, poor glass of, you know, whatever. An un- the, poor your 40s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever the official Unsolved Mysteries beverage would be, I would imagine it would be like some kind a of wine cooler. No, I'd say it becomes <laughs> some kind of juice and like a big chalice with like fog coming off of it. Uh, so like pour that out whatever the fuck that would be pour out your goblet of wine your mead it'd be mead probably (laughs) which is like a honey wine it's actually pretty good but it's too sweet uh so anyway yeah if you want to um join our facebook fan group that's uncovering unexplained mysteries if you want to become a a supporter of us on patreon you can do so by going to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries uh, we try to keep up with it as much as we can, but our schedules get in the way sometimes. I sincerely apologize for that, but you do most of the time get a podcast early. You get some bonus segments here and there, and whatever the fuck else you want. I mean, in, on Patreon, just tell us and we'll do it. I mean, I've covered multiple songs on there for people and this, that, and the other, so get a little, a little bonus there. Um, so anyway, the first case that we're going to be talking about is a case that was uh, suggested to us. And it's the case. By uh, Crystal. Crystal? Okay. Whatever. It was Crystal then. Um, <laughs> Mike's going to tackle this one because he was the one who brought it up. Yep. And it's the case. It's the case of Lisa Zeigert. Which is a She's which is school- the most German last name I've ever seen. See, she is a, she was a, a very beloved school teacher in Agawam, Massachusetts. 
Agawam, Massachusetts, is a small town near the western Connecticut border. At the Agawam Middle School is a memorial to one of the town's most beloved teachers, Lisa Zagert, whose untimely death changed Agawam forever. Lisa had grown up in Agawam. After college, she returned home to teach special needs students at the middle school. Dee Zygert, uh, Lisa's mother, remembers her daughter as outgoing and fun. Lisa was a very special person. With the kids, she always had a special rapport. It's rap- they, rapport. Rapport. They knew what she really liked, and they knew that she really liked them, and that she treated them like people. Well, I would hope that would be the case, because that's what a teacher should be doing. <laughs> I mean... And they even interviewed, uh, I believe it was her superior at the school, and he was talking about it, how she had the gift, she had the ability to be able to uh, be so good and so personable with her teaching that her students put their faith in her and trusted her. And he was apparently saying that not all teachers have that. And uh, I, I think that's really lame if that's the case. But yeah, I mean, that is somewhat true. I mean, there are some teachers who show up, all right, all right, class, all right, settle down, shut up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, there's... <laughs> I remember dealing with, like, a psychiatrist who or a psychologist who was like that. Like, he didn't actually give a shit about his job. He was just there for, you know, the money. Like, yeah, so, I mean... That's a bad therapist, then. Oh, yeah. The, well, he's not giving you your money's worth, then. If you show up and he's like, all right, all right, all right. To, what What do you want? Yeah, what's wrong with what, you? What's your problem? What's wrong with you? Oh, man, that's what's wrong with you? That's weird. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he all but said that after I told him what I was going through. He just wow. he gave me a look and he's like, really? And I'm like, how does how did that guy get to do that job then? I almost wanted to like fight that guy because of how how fucking disrespectful and awful of a therapist he was. It's like, dude, you don't treat people with mental illness this way, you fucking idiot. Anyway, <laughs> that's another thing you wish you could just uh, get away with. Not bitter at all. <laughs> so uh, the afternoon of Wednesday, April fifteenth, nineteen ninety two, was a typical day for Lisa. She left school around 4.30 and drove directly to a card and gift shop where she worked weekdays from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. And they show the inside of this, and I don't know why these places even were open or even were a thing even back then. Who is a person that spends money on cards and all these knickknacks and shit in these gift, gift shops? I mean, is there enough people out there that actually buy those things that this was a profitable business yeah. at one point in time? Yeah, Hallmark stores were extremely profitable. All the knick-knack bullshit that they sold, especially when Beanie Babies came out, like Hallmark stores were like a big carrier of Beanie Babies. Uh, before, department stores carried like a wide variety of cards and shit. It, I mean, it's kind of an antiquated thing nowadays, although I think there is still a Hallmark store in the mall there, there there are still hallmark stores but they're not what they once were and at all in terms of popularity a lot of the time they get big around the holidays and a lot of that's for like uh decorations and stuff like that and i remember for christmas especially they were they were pretty busy for ornaments and things like yeah, that yeah no they I, have exclusives I couldn't and stuff i couldn't like imagine that. a mom and pop card store like it's almost like if it's not hallmark then why bother? That's you know? kind of what it seems like it was. 
It probably from the from, it, the, from the looks of it. Well, it probably was, and they just legally couldn't say, you know, Hallmark, knowing knowing unsolved mysteries. Yeah. So um, Lisa's sister Lynn dropped by. She's quoted here. She says, "It was easy talk. It was sister talk. It was a little after six o'clock when I left, and then I went home, and she was fine. You know, she was fine when I left." I I, I find her uh, quote kind of interesting. I was like, it, "It was easy talk. It was sister talk." You know, the, the sister talk thing I get, but like the easy talk, like what's hard talk to you? Like, do you is is, is I I don't, I don't get that terminology. Um. At 8.45 the next morning, Sophia Maynard Maynard arrived, as usual, to open up the store. She was surprised to see Lisa's car parked out front. I saw her car, and then I remembered that Easter weekend was coming up. We had planned to stuff some balloons, and that's what she was doing there. So I really didn't think much of anything until I walked inside the store, you know? I called her name a couple of times, and I figured she'd just pop her head out. She didn't. I came behind the counter. All of her things were there. Her drawings, her pocketbook her car keys, and then I just kind of freaked out. I knew that something was wrong, so I ran out, ran across the street to a restaurant across the street and asked them to call the police. Police found signs of a struggle in the back storeroom and a few scattered traces of blood. Otherwise, there was no physical evidence at the card shop. That very day, the FBI and Massachusetts State Police launched a massive search for Lisa Zeigert. Dee Zeigert kept reassuring herself that her daughter was safe. I couldn't let myself believe that everything wasn't going to be okay, that she would be found, and no matter what had happened, that we would that we would be able to have her back. On Easter Sunday, four days after Lisa had disappeared, her body was found in the wooded area on the edge of town. Now, talk about poor time. I mean, any 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 time that a dead body is found is bad timing, but on a holiday, it's especially. I, I would say it's just a little bit more rough because of the fact that it's always go whenever you have a holiday, it's always going to be tainted by that. So anytime Easter comes around, you're just like everyone's getting all excited about the chocolates and the Easter bunny or the or uh, what they do to celebrate Easter in Christian religions and stuff like that, celebrating the resurrection. And you're like. Well, you know, my sister was murdered. Her her body was found in the woods. Yeah, no, so that would be none um, of this really excites me. <laughs> yeah, that would be awful. I'm I'm thankful that um, the thing that happened to me recently did not happen on my birthday, which is coming up soon. So yeah, that would have sucked more. But that's just my personal opinion on that. I, I know there are people who will disagree and think it's all oh, it's just it's just as bad as in, in any any instance, and I understand that as well. They, the shot that they showed of her dead body, there there was a decent amount of blood there, so they kind of they they actually showed some blood in the aftermath. It seems like they were selective with that with the show, but it was also like a zoomed out kind of shot. It wasn't like super zoomed in, and they didn't show any of the. Uh, particular details to get the sensors on their back, but but I appreciate the fact that they still added that that touch because it adds even more of a impact to that particular shot in, in the reenactment. This reenactment, for the most part, was really well put together. I thought the actress they casted to play uh, Lisa was a really good choice. Um, 
the interviews that they had with different people uh, was was also a, a good decision. Uh, and, and especially uh, they didn't have to interview the kids, but they did. And I, I thought that was that added a different perspective to to some of the things that were going uh, and some of the ways that people were feeling about uh, her murder and things like that. So an examination by the county medical examiner examiner indicated that she had been sexually assaulted as well as stab uh, brutally uh, i think she was stabbed and 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 uh, just all kinds of just uh, brutally uh, uh, um attacked and um there was another point i i, I think it doesn't seem like they mentioned that uh there was in the reenactment, they mentioned some things uh, that happened during the investigation where there was a customer came by and talked to Lisa and asked if they had something in stock, and they did, and she brought it out and asked uh, if uh, the customer would want uh, that wrapped up. Then there was another customer who came in a little bit later and realized there was no one at the counter and was asking if there was anybody there that could help her. She heard a loud bump in the back room and then she just left. The way that it was written and, and, and portrayed made it a little bit I don't know, like, it seemed like she reacted a bit prematurely to, th to that situation. Like, she calls out, there's no one on the count uh, at the counter, and she hears a loud thump in the back room and she's all like, oh, that's nothing. Uh, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> I mean, I would have at least called. I would have at least maybe went and checked or called the police or something. I don't know. Maybe not the police, but I wish would have like walked back there and tried to see w what the source of that noise was or walk back there and go in and say, hello, or, are you here? Like not talk to the front counter when there's nobody clearly there. You hear a sound in the background that's probably where the person is. Are you the kind of guy that does that, Mike? If you went to a store and it was empty, you'd go in the back and you'd be like, hello, is there someone here? No, but I, I would in the beginning. I mean, the thing is, if I heard a loud noise in the back, I would go in and try to say, to reiterate what I had said earlier to the back. Because if I'm coming there, I, I, I want to get help for something and if it's still open i and it's something i am trying to get done for the day i don't want to like oh oh well i hear a loud noise in the back it must be uh nothing uh, that's just how i i interpreted it yeah i don't know about you but it just seemed like it was a little bit of like now I'm I'm not gonna Naivety. I'm not gonna go investigating shit. Like if I feel like I'm not I'm not I'm not going in the back room. I'm not saying that I would go in the back room, but I, I'm saying that I would would have at least reiterated what I was saying earlier to the back to see if if I might get a response. True. So then there was another uh witness who apparently uh saw that there was this particular car that she she witnessed she uh at 915 on the night Lisa was murdered there was a woman who was on her way home the witness saw what police could not could have been could have what police believe could have been the killer's car and i believe i definitely need to uh work on my mumble mouth today 
Uh, Josh just surprised me apparently so much that I'm I'm just out of it. Well, you shouldn't have done a podcast without me. You ain't you angered the <laughs> podcast gods. So now you must feel my wrath. The curse. Yep. Uh, so yeah, this witness saw what police believe could have been the killer's car. She also said that a man and woman seemed to be struggling in the back seat. The car pulled off the road, heading toward the area where Lisa's body was later found. At the time, the woman thought it was just a carload of teenagers and drove on. How do you feel about that particular uh, scenario? Run that by like, me how, again. How, she, uh, there was a witness. She saw what police believe could have been the killer's car. She also said that a man and woman appeared to be struggling in the back seat. The car pulled off the road, heading toward the area where Lisa's body was later found. At the time, the woman thought it was just a carload of teenagers and drove on. Well, I mean, you know, you got to take into account their small town, which uh, they don't they're not mentioning this on Unsolved.com. But in the segment, they they talk about how they even voted to keep it a small town instead of a city because it was um, it, it was on the vote to become an actual city. But they're like, no, it's a small town and we like it that way. They even like well said that in yeah. the quote or whatever. So I I think that these people um, don't expect that that kind of activity is going down. They would never think that that was actually happening. So I think that I could see why. I mean, if there's no history of anything like that happening, I could see why people wouldn't right uh, think about uh, something horrible like that actually occurring in their small town. Yeah, you just brush it off, and then you feel horrible later when it's like, oh, I could have stopped. Yeah. Or could have assisted in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's a, this small town also had pretty much everybody in the town show up to uh, Lisa's wake. Uh, more than a thousand people stood for five hours in the rain to pay her tribute. Jeez. That's always bittersweet when you hear about that because it's like, it's like um, so many people came out. And, and, and there was, oh my goodness, there was just so many people there and, you know, like, like, like I'm supposed to be like, oh wow, but hey, you know what? The person's still dead in the casket, so, uh, I'm not really giving a shit about all the people that came out right now. Like, I don't know. That, I remember when my grandma died, um... <laughs> And I don't know, maybe people deal with death in all kinds of different ways. Yeah, people deal with death differently. But when my grandma died, I remember my my step-grandfather, which I do not like and I have no respect for him, but he he was talking about when we when we went to the funeral which was in like the auditorium of a church. It was more like a basketball area or it was but it was like just a general auditorium that they could use for multiple different things. That's where her funeral was at. And my grandfather was saying shit like like, oh, she looks so great. They made her look 20 years younger, talking about her in the casket. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but she's dead, though, so she's not 20 years younger. She's she's no longer. She's deceased. She ceases to be. <laughs> she is a non-person. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I hate it when people try to put silver linings on a shitty situation. It's like, no, there's no silver lining. Like, this sucks, and we're just dealing with it. Like, don't try to make it, you know, whatever. Well, it's just you—you you cope with it differently than other people do. I mean, I, I think that's what it—that's what it comes down to. Well, I mean, there's is no, that how you cope with it or how you deal with it is the more of like 
this is just an, a, a really bad situation. And I, I, I don't feel like sugarcoating it is going to help me right now or make things better. But for other people, they might look at it like, especially if it's awake, for instance, like if if something were to happen to me, I, I would I would rather have somebody have a wake for for me to celebrate my life and not not, not just completely uh, just 100 percent just focus only on my death in that moment at that particular time. But that's just my particular uh, viewpoint. Uh, of it i just feel like when you when you're trying to make some kind of sunny side up or positive thing in that situation you're just lying to yourself and i'm not big on lying to myself because these people who are like trying to you know pull something positive out of the situation it's like yeah, but you know that doesn't really help them when they go home after the event. You know, it's like they're... well, I think sometimes it does. I mean, everybody's different. I know. I know there have been a lot of traumatic things that have happened to me in my life, and 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 looking at it from a more positive perspective has helped me. I'm it's not saying everything in life. I'm faster. saying I'm saying a funeral when someone's de- when someone died that you're close to. I'm not saying never be positive. That's not what my no what... no no. I get it. I, I get it. I I I totally understand that as well. But I, I'm just saying, it's just one of those things where it's just different for everybody. Yeah, that's 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 the well, main I mean, yeah, thing that's, here. That can't be argued. I mean, that's a given. And I, I don't think either option is necessarily right or wrong. That's true. You know, everyone that's is, true. You know, shares their own personal opinion or or belief on how they cope with or handle uh, the death. Of a loved one. I'm just saying for me personally, I just don't like when people try to pull some weird thing, like like saying, my grandma's dead, but saying, oh, she looks 20 years younger in the cast. I, I get that. That's weird. I, I get that. Isn't that weird? I mean, I don't know. That's just just weird to me. Or, or being like, oh, so many people showed up at the funeral. Isn't that great? It's like, uh, listen to what you just said. <laughs> a bunch of people showed up at the funeral. Funeral being bad thing. Well, they're probably like, well, they weren't expecting this outpouring of support. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's a certain, there's, a, I mean, that's to me, that's a whole different thing, you know. That's a whole different thing to be happy about is like the moral support. But like, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm off the, I'm off it. I've, I've come off it, mate. <laughs> All right. So um, apparently, there is an update to this case. It was actually uh, solved. Investigators are still working on her case and continue to follow up on leads. The, the show Crime Watch Daily profiled Lisa's case in 2015. In the segment, investigators revealed that in the weeks prior to her abduction, she had told people that she believed that she was being watched. She also asked several friends and relatives to visit her frequently, as she did not like being in the gift shop. This leads investigators to believe that her killer had been stalking her in the weeks up to her murder. DNA found at the crime scene has been sent to a DNA forensic analysis service as of December 2015. Investigators have yet to find a match based on known offenders. Since then, a composite has been made using DNA phenotyping. The man is likely fair-skinned, with hazel brown eyes and brown or black hair. On September of 18th, 2017, it was announced that Lisa's killer had finally been identified. Which means, why is all this other stuff on the Wikia page there? Because it's, it's all talking about as if it was in the current time frame. It's like, I, I, this needs an edit from somewhere. 
<laughs> because of, oh, it's not been identified. This has not been. And then it's like, oh, it is now. So on September 18, 2017, it was announced that Lisa's killer had finally been identified. The DNA evidence has been connected to 48-year-old Gary Sachara, who has been a suspect in the case since 1993. <clears throat> Investigators recently tried to re-interview him, only to learn that he had fled. He was later found in a Connecticut hospital after he attempted to commit suicide. He was arrested and charged with murder, aggravated rape, and kidnapping. Along with the DNA evidence, investigators have stated that a witness gave them a handwritten note believed to have been written by Sachara. In the note, he confessed to Lisa's murder. May uh, Lisa rest in peace. And um, I don't have much else to say about this particular case, except I want to mention something about the reenactment. Uh, The way that the sequences were shot at night were especially well done. And that's something that the show was really good at, I really felt. Like, shooting the night sequences and always having, like, the right lighting and creating the perfect mood and atmosphere for these sequences that happen at night when somebody is watching some strange car drive by. And I can just chime in by saying, like, as somebody who is a amateur videographer, filmmaker myself... Shooting at night is a bitch. It is very difficult to shoot at night. Um, you ha- you really have to know what you're doing to get a good night shot um, because obviously the lack of light. And it's crazy because like even though the human eye, we see really well at night for the most part, you know, we see everything so, you know, decently lit. You know, even if there's one street light, it illuminates like so much and it provides so much light. A camera does not work that way. A camera does not see the way that we see. So whenever, you know, you see something filmed at night, they really had to put a lot of work into achieving those shots. Way more work than day, than day shots, for sure. Yep. Or even interior shots where you have controlled lighting, you know, that you can use to get the exact effect you want. So it's all, uh, you know, it's it's very difficult shooting at night. This chair is so fucking like squeaky and creaky. It needs WD-40 so bad. I hope it doesn't pick up in the audio. That would really piss me off. And then it just falls apart. I'm waiting on um, I'm waiting for my ass to plop down in this thing one day and it just come unbolted from the base and it just falls off onto the ground. Well, with this chair I'm currently sitting in, there have been moments cuz this one it's an older chair, and, and and there have been times where I'll sit down in it, and the mechanism that keeps the chair sitting upright and makes it so it doesn't lean back will sometimes stop working, and it's not predictable. So there will be days where it's fine, and then I go to sit down, and then all of a sudden I'm like, uh, like you're just wobbling back and forth, <laughs> and then I have you know, I have to mess around with it to get it fixed again. It was a good will find and and for a good for like 25 bucks, I mean 27 bucks or whatever, it was actually a pretty good deal. Ladies and works, gentlemen, you have just experienced okay. chair talk. <laughs> the chair talk it's podcast. Just, it's just like it's just like car talk, but this time it's about chairs. I mean, as long as you get really close to the mic like this and you talk like this into the mic, um you can pretty much make any any NPR ripoff that you want to. And people will like are it. We, are we are we going to have Bible code talk? 
Today on This American Life, you will be joined by your host, Ira Glass, as we talk about Michael Drosnan, author of The Bible Code. (laughs) Yes, 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 it's finally come down to this Bible Code on the Psychics DVD on the Ultimate Collection. It could have easily been in the Miracles. God damn it, Mike. Why do you got to say it like that? Why? Miracles. 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 There you go. (laughs) It's crazy because I feel like that's a southern way to say it. Miracle. It's a miracle. But it's, I don't know. I don't. I'm not the only one, though. So (laughs) that's my thing. Like, that's how my, my, that's how my family pronounces. No, Mike, you know, the sad thing. You are the only one. (laughs) I have empirical data to back up those findings. Oh, you have the Bible code? Yeah, the Bible code ta- <laughs> taught me that, honestly. It said, Mike is the only one who says miracle. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, this case was on the Psychics DVD and the Unsolved Mysteries Ultimate Collection. Uh, it ran on, I think it was one of the later ones. Yeah. And it ran normally, okay, it was, okay, so it was part of the April 3rd, 1998 episode, so yeah, mm-hmm. this this is what we call scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. Now, I guess at the time, it was fascinating and intriguing enough for Unsolved Mysteries to talk about it. They didn't... Str- I totally I, I, I totally don't believe, though, that Robert Stack didn't scoff at this. I'm sure. Knowing that he scoffed at so many other things, I'm pretty sure he was like, this is bullshit. A lot of people probably did, but then you had a lot of religious people who were probably like, oh my god... Because a lot of this segment is fear-mongering as well, and, you know... It reminded me of the psychic segments I, I've watched on sightings. The same sort of thing, where you have some crackpot show up and talk about some uh, predictions or warnings. This guy, Mike, uh, this of, Michael Drosnan guy who, like, wrote this book, he, he seems in the segment like he's just kind of trolling, you know? Like, he's like, well, these things, they could happen, they, you know, I mean... Not saying they will. I, I, but... I don't think he's trolling. I just think he's delusional. I really think that's what's going on with him. With this whole, they're not prophecies. They're they're warnings, right? So I'm not prophesizing anything. So so this Michael Drosnan guy who was born in New York in 1946, and he began studying the Bible Code in 1994. He became a believer in 1995 when Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated in 1997. Michael Drosnan wrote the book The Bible Code about a code that supposedly predicts future events. The Bible Code was first discovered by uh, 1938. It's supposed to be in 1938, not by 1938. Um, the Bible Code was first discovered in 1938 by a Czechoslovakian rabbi named H.M.D. Vossler. The events that the code predicted included the Oklahoma City bombing, encoded terrible, frightening, death, there will be terror, Murrah building, on the ninth hour, his name is Timothy McVeigh. Oh, all that was found in the Bible code. The Kobe, Japan earthquake encoded earthquake, fire, Kobe, Japan, 1995. And the Gulf War encoded Hussein, enemy, scuds. It's just so ridiculous. So on September 1st, 1994, Michael persuaded a man to give a letter to Israeli Prime Minister 
Yazak Rabin, that said in the Bible code, his name was found with assassin will assassinate. But Rabin did not believe it. 14 months later, he was gunned down by an assassin after a peace rally in Tel Aviv. However, Michael is not the first person to have found codes in the Bible. Now, okay. You, that just seems like a coincidence to me. You're over and you're talking about the Middle East for fuck's sakes and you're saying you you're you're going to get assassinated at some point. You should really watch your back. That's really not much of a warning or prediction. No. It's just kind of common sense. Yeah, it's common knowledge for for someone like Rabin. Also, Drosnin misused the biblical verse Deuteronomy 442. Scholars note, for example, citing again the passages intersecting with Rabin, that passage is from Deuteronomy 442, but Drosnik ignores the words immediately following a murderer who will murder. What comes next is the phrase unwittingly. This is because the verse deals with the cities of refuge where accidental killers can find asylum. In this case, then the message would refer to an accidental killing of or by Rabin, and it would therefore be wrong. Yes, and this is one of the many cracks that start to appear, appear in this Bible code. In 1938, a rabbi found several codes in the Bible and found that he skipped every 50 letters in the book of Genesis that it spelt out Torah. Decades later, scientists used a computer program called a skip code in order to find more codes in the Bible. In 1985, Israeli mathematicians ran a skip code to search for names of 34 prominent Jewish rabbis in the past thousand years. Amazingly, they were all found in the book of Genesis, along with their births or deaths. Drosnin claims the odds of finding the dates and the names were 11 million to 1. When Drosnin published... He could have just made all of that up. He could have made that percentage up in his head. Statistics don't do anything for me. When people start citing statistics and numbers and all from their, you know... I need to see some facts behind those statistics. Right. You can just say statistics all you want to, but if there's no concrete evidence behind them, you could just be saying a bunch of bullshit. Well, statistics really. can be... So, they can be manipulated. You can, yeah. you can ask, like, cr cross-sections of people that, like, benefit your agenda. There's so many... There's so much... That's why when presidents and presidential candidates start citing their statistics, I just plug my ears and start yelling because it's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it, they they really are. Well, there's a reason why when you have scientific uh, experiments and stuff like that, uh, where they have control groups. So they have a control group and they have another thing. So, so when they do surveys, they have one that's... Uh, a control group and another that's a t totally different thing. So that's so they don't have something like that where it's uh, a biased perspective or it's not as balanced as it possibly could be. Yeah, and then you got the single blind study and the double blind study and all that shit mm -hmm. where the do neither the doctor nor the patient knows if he's if they're administering the placebo or the actual medication and blah blah blah. No. Yep. So um when uh, Drosnin published his findings, he caught the attention of an FBI codebreaker named Harold Gans. Gans was initially skeptical until he found the birth and death places of several of the 50, uh, 34 rabbis near their names. 
Um, Drosnin then used the skip code program to find several historical figures. He did not believe the Bible code until 1995 when Rabin was killed. Um, he began his own research into the code after that. Now, again, the code predicted that some prominent political figure in the Middle East would get assassinated. That's not much of a prediction to me. That's like saying, um, at some point in the United States, um, somebody will have a heart attack because they ate too many cheeseburgers. At some point in the United States, somebody will go to Chipotle and get food poisoning. Oh my God, Mike! Really? You pronounce it? Ch- <laughs> you pronounce it Chipotle? What? I've gotten. I, I got into a, the biggest argument with my friend Abigail way back in the day because she kept saying Chipotle. And I'm like, it's Chipotle. There's an L. Chipotle. Fine. I, Whatever. I, I'm not trying to be a stickler, but it's just... It's a silent... I, I, when I said it, my L was more silent. I seriously that's, got that's into the most like heated argument with her over this. <laughs> and she was like... And she thought she... Like, she couldn't hear that she wasn't saying the L. She thought she was saying Chipotle, but she kept saying Chipotle. And I'm like, you... You s- I said Chipotle. No, you s- I did. At first you said Chipotle. And and that's It was more of a silent L. All right, whatever. I'm not going to get into this, but just know that that I can't believe that sh- I got I'm going to have to tell her that she's not the only one who says it like that cuz I was giving her such a hard time and now But she's not. There are, I I hear it in actual videos where people are talking about the restaurant. That's why I've said it like that. Mike, do you do you think that I might have a a, a slight bit of OCD? Maybe a little bit. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so Drosnin started using the skip code program. He did not believe the Bible code until 1995 when Rabin was killed. He began his own research into the code. And other predictions that were found in the Bible included Adolf Hitler, which was encoded Nazi and enemy, evil man, slaughter. Pearl Harbor was encoded as destruction of fortress, World War, December 7th. And this is the one that gets me right here where I just I just like threw my hands up and said, all right, all right, Bible code. It's been real, but I got to (laughs) go. The next one they found um, was Watergate and was encoded as Nixon president, but he was kicked out. It's so bad. Okay, And also, it's not entirely true because he wasn't kicked out. He quit. Okay, even if the Bible is this divine, like, code and sending us messages from beyond, they wouldn't use American slang. The term kicked out is slang. That is not an (laughs) official, that is not, like, an official statement that would ever be used in any legal document. President, but was kicked out. That almost sounds like some kind of headline-grabbing, like, slang thing that you might see I don't know. I mean, kicked out isn't necessarily something that wasn't used in in any language before then. I mean, when you're talking about kicking somebody out of something, dude, that is a like, slang term. That is not like that. Are you sure? It's a, it's an idiom. Yeah, it's like you. Are we actually literally having them stand in the doorway and then we kick their ass out of the door? Are they kicked? No, I understand that, but I don't think it's it's. If you're trying to use it, if they're if, he's, if they're using it from the Bible or from that particular language, I I, I think that what they mean is, in essence, uh, kicked out 
does not necessarily mean English slang, but it's, I understand why you, why you're looking at it like it is very weird, and it also doesn't match with the other particular uh, codes that were mentioned in the segment that were vague and just had some words. Also, and are they a name. Like, I'm guessing they were going off the Hebrew interpretation of the like the Hebrew text. Yeah. So, are they saying that? Nixon president was kicked out is like an approximation of what it said in Hebrew. Possibly. And, and they had or possibly unsolved mysteries messed up and uh, put it all in one sentence when it was supposed to be separate. Like it was before where you had stuff like a name, then you had kicked out or something like because that. Because I, I don't really know. They exactly. should have, they should have made that qualification in the show that, Hey, this is, th- this is like loose translations of what, this Bible well, regardless, said. it's still not correct because he quit. <laughs> well, he yeah, I mean he he um, <laughs> what wasn't he impeached? I don't know. I think he was threatened of, to be impeached, and ultimately he quit to prevent from being impeached. He would have been impeached if he stayed, but he quit. He stepped down. So, um, some other notes that um. The one that that's not the one that really got me. I mean, the one that made me call bullshit was the prediction he made about nuclear terror and war. And yeah, so I have notes on you- that. So so Michael Shermer comes in, and Michael Shermer is like unsolved mysteries. I love this guy. I do too, actually. <laughs> Michael Shermer is unsolved mysteries resident skeptic who comes in on all the psychic cases, some of the ghost cases, but he comes. He's a bullshit police. Yeah, and and this guy is um. <laughs> Uh, he, he's not exactly like a ray of sunshine to people who want to believe in mystical, magical things. I have a clip set up here of uh, a compilation of uh, that I got off his website of all his um, kind of appearances and stuff. It's a short little clip. Please welcome Michael Shermer. Why must things be debunked? Because there's a lot of bunk. There's a lot of nonsense, bad science, voodoo science, pathological science, non-science, and played on nonsense. It's all over the place. What, where's one of those probes from the uh, dashboard? I didn't say probes. Where's one of I the said physical trace cases, multiple witnesses. It's no more mysterious, by the way, where you go after you die than where you were before you were born. Why does nobody get all fussed up about, well, where was I before I was born? How can you tell the difference between, you know, it's right or it's wrong? You know, how do you know? What happens is, is you... You arrive at beliefs for non-rational, non-smart reasons, and then you back into it after the fact with rational reasons to justify it. We call this the confirmation bias. Why would the aliens look like this? Well, that's, these, these are who bipedal. Drew that? Who drew that? They, yeah, well, you... this comes from television. And that kind of error, that false positive, that's superstition. That's magical thinking. That's assuming A is connected to B. It's a true pattern, and it isn't, and you're wrong. Once that became the image of what aliens would look like, that's what people began to see in their dreams and their abduction experiences. The point here is you want to have a, a mind open enough to accept radical new ideas, but not so open that your brains fall out. The only way to tell, really, the difference between these true patterns and false patterns is science. Really? Really, yeah. Most of the universe is just stars. All they're doing is converting hydrogen into helium under great pressure and heat. That's it. They're not sitting there thinking, I got to give Michael Shermer some purpose here because, you know, if, if I don't, he's, he's going to kill himself or something. No. The application of science and reason to solving political problems, economic problems, social inequalities, and so on, we're using reason to solve those problems rather than 
the witch theory. Well, of course, students should be exposed to whatever the cutting edge ideas are. Um, and in science, that's what the best science is. And you have to be able to sell your ideas to other scientists in journals. You'd be, have to be barking mad to not think that the life is not designed. It is designed, but it's designed from the bottom up by a natural process of evolution. What intelligent design offers is not a scientific explanation. It's just a statement that we can't figure out how to explain this through science, so let's just say an intelligence did it. But that doesn't explain anything. But, but science is the best tool ever devised for understanding how the world works. The scientific method requires that we look for natural explanations for natural phenomena. There is no such thing as the supernatural or the paranormal. There's just the natural, the normal, and all the stuff we can't explain yet. And it's okay in science to just say, I don't know. In that case, it's okay to just call bullshit. So yeah, the... Uh, they got Michael Drosnan, the Bible code guy, talking about um, the, of a possible nuclear war, uh, atomic holocaust. These words came up. And then the years 2000 and 2006. And, um, you know, he, he's saying, like, it might happen or this, that, and the other. And he's pretty much running, like, the gamut of, like, all the possibilities. So then Michael, Dr uh, or, uh, Michael Shermer comes in and he goes... Well, now, wait a minute. You can't prophesize that the end will come, the end might not come, the end might be delayed, or the end might not come at all. You've made all possible predictions, which is no prediction at all, and that's not prophecy. And then they cut back to Michael Drosden, and he's like, the Bible code, as far as I'm concerned, does not predict anything. It warns <laughs> us of possible dangers. It does not give us one predetermined future, but all of our possible Bullshit. futures. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. And then they then they cue in Harold Gans, which was this this respected code breaker that worked for the government, who initially was like he believed in the Bible code, but I guess he doesn't believe in Michael Drosnan's version of it. Because then Harold Gans comes back in and he says. Mr. Drosnan is a journalist. He is reporting on a very complex mathematical work of world-renowned mathematicians. He has not used scientific methodology, and his conclusions are logically unsound. And then it cuts back to Drosnan, which at this point I'm just wanting to, like, throttle the guy because he's such a bullshit uh, perpetrator. He's a bullshit artist. Yeah, he's going, It is far better in my mind to sound a false warn than to fail to warn of a real danger. And it's like, um, I think that's just called being a troll at that point. You're literally just trolling people and going, hey, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, pay attention to me, buy my book, give me money. I, I don't think he's trolling anybody. He's just, uh, he's delusional, and he's also, uh, I, I would think, uh, abusing people's naivety is a good way to put it. Because for the, it's not like he's deliberately trying to poke fun at people, I, 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 you know, or make fun of people like like trolls normally do or something like well, that. Well, to me, like a troll could also be somebody who's just throwing out some bullshit just to divert people's he's just attention. Just a fraud. Yeah, he's just, he's just that's a, that's just fraud. That's just somebody being a fake. Just being fake. Yeah, but it, <laughs> I, is it, I don't know if he's a fraud though, because like I feel like he believes it. I think he does believe it, but idiot. at the same time, I, I think he does have some skepticism, but I think as the years have gone by, and he's made three of these damn books, okay? 
There's Bible Code, Bible Code Two. Uh, I I flubbed my words there because I can't believe there's three of the f- three. There's three. There's three of these fucking books. <laughs> you got it, Mike. I'm okay. I'm just it's just it's still unbelievable to me that there's three of these goddamn books that exist. Also, they the first one was a bestseller, really, and the other ones seem to sell pretty well. And and the thing is, it's it's preying upon a certain group of people's diehard beliefs about the Bible and about their religion and all of that. And it's also appealing to those doomsdayers who are looking for validation for their doomsday prophecies. And this is and the Bible code is saying stuff that it's making predictions and, and prophecies and warnings. Even it doesn't matter how you put it. You could say it's a warning. It's it's the same shit that so many other people have done in the past b- before Michael Drosnan and the same shit that people have done after Michael Drosnan and will continue to do so. Remember Harold Camping, who was talking about how the rapture was going to happen in 2012 and there were people who were foolish enough to buy into that bullshit, sell their house, build some bunker, and what? You have no house now, and you have a bunker. And what are you going to tell your family now? You so you 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 sold your house, and you put everything that you own into everything that you own, and all of your profits and every everything that you have financially into a fucking bunker. Good job. Or the people who took their life savings and gave it to Harold Camping so he could advertise the rapture on on bus. Uh, stops and, and things like that or have a fucking billboard somewhere. Uh, some people are extremely naive and are easily manipulated when it comes to things that validate their personal beliefs in their religion. And I feel that Michael Drosnan was definitely capitalizing on that since he wrote three fucking books. So I don't necessarily... I think he did believe some of the things, but I also think he's also leading a lot of people on because it's a money-making scheme. Look at the other people who wrote about the upcoming uh, Mayan apocalypse or whatever in 2012. Oh, yeah, that was big. Oh, the Mayan calendar stopped in 2012. And, the, you know, they were so advanced and they, 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 well, that means... Maybe they just... They didn't want to make another calendar. They were like, we're not going to make it to 2012, so why fucking bother making another one out of stone? We're almost out on our way out anyway. We don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's silly. I don't buy into any of that shit. It always... Uh, I think in America, though, that's a really hot and even selling if ticket. You, and even if you do believe in the, in the Bible and its teachings, there is a specific line in it that says... That no one will know when the end time comes. It will come up and sneak up on you like a thief in the night. It clearly says that. But there's all these people still predicting the end times. And you still see it on Christian broadcasting channels. And all these other televangelists talking about how the end is near. All these natural disasters is proof that the end times are here. Get prepared. Buy your Jim Baker bucket or whatever. Let's get going. You know, your the Jim Baker nigh. bacon bucket for nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> Prepare for the end times with some good old swine. 
I mean, really? Yeah. Oh, dude, it, imagine it, it, imagine being a fucking middle schooler in 2001 going to a private Christian school and having to go to chapel every Thursday <laughs> after 9/11. Good god. I mean, it yeah. a bill, you know, cuz America we're we're such a cocky country that nothing bad can ever happen to us. So as soon as something bad happens to us, it's the end of the world. The end is near. Like meanwhile, there's like all this bullshit happening in every other part of the world all the time and we're like, "Ah, God doesn't shine upon that country. Fuck them." Oh, something happened to us. It's the end of the world. It's it's the rapture. And it's like, we, it's like, man, you guys really do think we're the fucking shining beacon on the hill, don't you? America. Not all, not, not all Christians and not all, uh, people who, who have faith in the Bible feel that way. But there, there are definitely a, a good amount of radicals that definitely do abide by that. You, you really don't have to, you really don't have to like make diplomatic statements like that anymore because I'm pretty sure if Bible Camp didn't lose all of our Christian listeners, (laughs) I don't think, I think, uh, I don't think anything else is going to make them leave at this point. It's, it's, it's a habit now, okay? Like, I'd rather just do that just in case, you know, you never know. It's smart. But, uh, but at, at the same time, all of this reminds me of a skit from SNL where you had David Spade who was playing a receptionist at like Dick Clark's uh, company or something. And there's all these Roseanne shows up and all even like famous people show up and he's all like, you're going to have to wait in line. Do you have an appointment? If you don't have an appointment, you're going to have to, you're going to have to wait. Sorry. Uh, and he's just being a snarky asshole to everybody. And then Jesus actually shows up. And he's like, "Sorry, uh, who are you? I, I, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I am the Son of God." <laughs> so, <laughs> dude, fucking David Spade. I don't know. I've always liked him for some reason. I don't know what it is. A lot of people hate it's, him. It's 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 a great skit because then Jesus has to wait in line too, because <laughs> he's trying to tell him that I'm I'm I am going to use Dick Clark's broadcasting network to. Uh, show that I have returned. Nice. He's like, do you have an appointment? <laughs> so, do you have anything so, else in the Bible code, Mike? Yeah, there's actually a bunch of stuff I got on Wikipedia here. Um, first off, I'm going to go in and mention this part I got from a different website where uh, there have actually been mathematicians and statisticians who have thoroughly, completely, and convincingly disproved the Bible code. For example, Barry Simon of the Caltech Mathematics Department has shown that any sufficiently large text will have similar letter pattern letter patterns in it. Famously, the same algorithms used in the Bible codes yielded similarly prophetic results when used on the Hebrew translations of war and peace. Indeed, when in 1997, popular author Michael Drosden, who wrote a book on the subject, challenged critics to find the same prophecy regarding the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin and Moby Dick as Bible codes folks had found in the Bible, Australian computer scientist Brendan McKay did just that. And for good measure, he found letter arrangements predicting the assassinations of Trotsky, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King Jr. Also, here's some more uh, info on uh, debunking of uh, Michael Drosnan. Drosnan also made a number of claims and alleged predictions that have since failed. Among the most important, Drosnan clearly states in his book, The Bible Code 2, published on December 2nd, 2002, that there was to be a world war involving an atomic holocaust that would allegedly be the end of the world. 
Another claim that Drazen makes in Bible Code 2 is that the nation of Libya would develop weapons of mass destruction and that they would be given to terrorists who would then use them to attack the West, specifically in the United States. In reality, Libya improved relations with the West in 2003 and gave up all of their existing weapons of mass destruction programs. A final claim Drazen made in the Bible Code 2 was that the Palestinian Authority leader Yasser Arafat would allegedly be assassinated by being shot to death by gunmen, which Drazen specifically stated would be from the Palestinian Hamas movement. The prediction by Drazen also failed, as Yasser Arafat died on November 11, 2004, of what was later declared to be natural causes. The only conspiracy theories about Yasser Arafat allegedly being murdered have been made by a few Palestinian figures and have involved alleged poisoning that was supposed to have been on the orders of Israeli officials. The only alleged Palestinian collaboration in this conspiracy theory involved two leading Palestinian figures from the Palestinian Fatah movement, and those are current Palestinian Authority of Fatah leader Mohammed Abbas and Mohammed Dalan, and the former head of the Fatah in Gaza. Writer Randy Ingermainson, what a last name, criticized Drazen by stating that that's the, and that's all they are, even for Drazen, possibilities. He believes that the future is not fixed and that the Bible Code predicts all possible outcomes, which makes it not much of a predictive tool but again, he seems not to mind this very much. If you're laying bets based on Drosnin, you had better be willing to bet on all possible outcomes. Some accuse him of factual errors, claiming that he has much support in the scientific community, mistranslating Hebrew words to make his points more convincing, and using the Bible without proving that other books do not have similar codes. So he's a charlatan, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the so-called healers. We saw on the show. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Or the people who are all like, I I, I healed myself, or I had a near-death experience, and I had all of this, and then you look deeply into it, and you're like, eh, the guy's kind of a uh, crackpot. That's like, that's like if you're just like some amateur, like, wannabe scientist or something, and you come across something really exciting to you, and you want to show everyone... But instead of actually getting your information vetted and, and, you know, the scientific community actually being like, yeah, you legitimately stumbled upon something really fascinating. You're like, oh, no, fuck the scientific community. I'm going to write a book. And I think in our country that would go by really well because, hell yeah, I don't care about science. I'm going to read it. The Bible said that that uh, the terrorists are going to attack us on this certain day. I need to go buy up some gold and silver and build a bunker. Doomsday prepper for life. And buy guns. Guns. And my big fucking truck. Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump. Trump. His last name sounds like a big ass air horn. Trump. <laughs> so I think that um, it's important every now and then from time to time to let you guys know about your fellow listeners and possibly like the lives that they're leading. And that's happening. That's going to happen right now gentleman by the name of Tony Fourpaws. I'm, I'm sure that is his birth last name. I'm sure that is his real legitimate name. I have no reason to question that. Seems very legit. Well, he told me something about his life or he gave me like his little life story. Now I'm going to tell you. So Tony is a successful banker with a uh, great respect for and dedication to the people in his life, especially his future wife, Lisa. Tony can also be a little too trusting at times, which haunts him later on. Lisa is a beautiful blonde fiancé of Tony. 
She has always gotten her way and will manipulate to get what she wants. She is a taker with a double personality. And her deadly schemes lead to her own downfall. Mark is a young, successful, and independent best friend of Tony. He has a good heart but gets caught up in Lisa's dangerous web and gives in to temptation. This eventually brings him to great loss. Claudette is the classy, sophisticated mother of Lisa who has had disappointing relationships in her life. She wants her daughter to be married as soon as possible so she can benefit. Denny is an orphan boy, naive and confused about his life, love, and friendship. Denny is very ambitious and also very grateful to the people that are in his life. Um, Tony's life is it, it basically depicts the depths of friendship and relationships in one's life and raises a real and most asked question, can you ever really trust anyone? And I mean, some of the things that Tony went through, you know, he'd, he'd say things like he'd get really upset and he'd be like, you're tearing me apart, Lisa, you know, uh, referring to his fiance and, you know, but he was also very fun loving. You know, he could his his mood could change on a dime. He'd be like, you know, something bad would happening. He, he'd be accused of, of abusing Lisa and he'd be like, it's not true. It's not Oh, hi, Mark, when he would see his friend Mark, you know, so it's just just a testament to how how good of a guy Tony actually is. But unfortunately, Tony met a tragic, tragic end, you know, by the end of, uh, you know, his story. And uh, I just hope wherever he is, he's 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 doing better now. Uh, it's a completely true story, uh, not based on anything. And uh, he told me that. And that's a benefit. So he's a zombie. Maybe I don't know. That's probably an in 2018. That's probably a very offensive term to the undead. He 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 he's, he's a ghost. I mean I don't he's, know. He's apparition. American he's, is, is he's the more supporting us, supporting us from beyond the grave. Is that what you're what you're talking about? I appreciate it. I mean that that's pretty cool. I hear some some kind of like some cheekiness, some kind of laughter in your voice, and I don't appreciate it. It's a very serious story. But yeah, if you want your own serious story read on the uh, podcast that may or may not be true, consider donating to us on Patreon. Um, so I guess before we end the podcast, I'll address the elephant in the room. And um, that would be that on Friday, July 27th, um, my dad passed away after a very, and I mean very, short battle with liver cancer. Uh, even though I saw, uh, or I say that it was liver cancer, we, we don't actually know what the hell it was. Uh, my dad's body was too messed up by the time he went to the emergency room to even have surgery to get a proper biopsy done. But his white blood cell counts were 600 times what they were supposed to be. So cancer is the most logical conclusion. Um, People have been asking me this entire week your typical questions after losing a loved one. I'm, I'm just constantly asked, how have you been? How'd you, how are you holding up? What can I do to help? And uh, one of our listeners, Mike Martin, uh, who lost his mother semi-recently, he probably responded best to these questions. His response was, I don't know. And that's where I'm at right now. I've cried my eyes out a handful of times. I especially lost it the day that he passed, and uh, I had to go over to the house 
that I lived at my whole life as a child and I had to see all of his stuff laid out just like he was going to come home soon from the store or something. That hurts, you know, it, it hurts that my niece won't be able to see what an amazing papa she had. Uh, it hurts that my parents' fun-loving fun yet pain-in-the-ass dog Lenny won't play tug-of-war with my dad in the living room anymore. It hurts that my mom lost her husband, you know, her partner. The universe is fucking cruel, and at the same time... It's nothing personal. These things happen not only to me, but they'll happen to you, Mike, and they happen, they'll happen to you out there listening. All those tired adages of, quote, make the most of your time with friends and family because you never know when you're going to lose them. They're more true now than I could ever know. The, the only things that I had going for me to help me through this time are the fact that, A, I have established a life out here on the west side of Jacksonville in my own home, away from everybody. I have a routine that is rock solid and that brings me great comfort. I I rarely have, uh, what, what do people call it, a downtime. So for me to be able to return to my sanctuary here in my own home is a gift. I couldn't imagine the grief of having to live in my parents' house right now. Well, I guess I should say my mom's house now. The second thing I had going for me was that, I mean, I was like Tupac when it came to predicting my dad's death. Like, just some quick stats about my dad and his lifestyle. He had hepatitis C for over 40 years. That, that's a disease that attacks the liver if it becomes active. Many people, seem seems like especially baby boomers, have have hepatitis C, but they never know anything is wrong until something is wrong. And by then it can be too late. My dad smoked cigarettes for about 50 years, which were clogging up his arteries. I mean, not the cigarettes, but, you know, the plaque and shit. I thought, honestly, a heart attack was going to take him out. I thought that was going to be what, what killed him. He had cirrhosis of the liver, which was probably related to the hepatitis. My dad had a pain pill addiction at one point for a long time, and as we know, pain pills are filtered through your liver. I, I could spend this whole podcast talking about all the other problems from his restless leg syndrome to his nerve damage to his planner's warts, but the point is, my dad hadn't been well for over a fucking decade. It's my belief that whatever took out took my dad's life, uh, had been in his body this whole time, killing him slowly, but it only manifested itself when it became terminal. I mean, <laughs> none of this rationalizing brought me immediate comfort, but every time I think about his realistic remaining life expectation, I know he wouldn't have had a long life any way you slice it. I'll miss what my dad was 15 years ago, before he got really sick. The strong, moral, kind, and giving person that would literally give you the shirt off his back in his last $2, as long as it made your day a little better. I can't understand his love for people, because though me and my dad are so similar in so many ways, I don't trust people, and I don't like most people. 
I don't really believe in God, but if I did, my dad would be a shining example of what a true Christian is supposed to be. Well, that 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 is until you find his HBO softcore porn VHS tapes under the old entertainment center in my room, but that is besides the point. My dad was the reason I love music. He's the reason I play music. He bought me all the instruments that I, I still have. So many bands I love are bands he introduced me to. And for being a southern boy with a thick country accent, thank God, Dad, you never listen to country music. Thank you so much. He never liked it, and I never grew up with it. So, yeah, guys, I don't know how I'm doing right now. Okay, I guess. I miss my dad, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But I do want to take this opportunity and thank each and every one of you that reached out to me and offered your support. It meant so much to me, and it touched my heart for real, man. Um, so, enough of this sad shit. I just wanted to kind of let everyone in on what's what's going on, what's been going on, and I've always been a very open person with my life and my, you know, things that have been going on with me, and, um, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it on the group, and, um, you know, my... my uh, my dad would have been, I think, okay with me talking about all this. And, uh, you know, so I, I you know, I'm, I'm glad a lot of people listen to this podcast because I feel like it gets the word out at least about him and how he was and how good of a person he was and this, that, and the other. So, you know, not trying to be. As a, Go ahead. As a very poignant and uh, really well thought out statement. Well, thank you, Mike. I wrote it last night. I I thought didn't it, it didn't honestly sound like it. It didn't sound like it was rushed. Oh no, it wasn't it, rushed. I mean, I put time into it, but like I didn't want to go off the top of my head because it's been such a my thoughts get whipped around in so many different directions yeah. when it comes to this, and you know, it's like I cry. You get the right distillation. You get the right. Uh, blend of emotions and feelings that you that you that you want to express in your statement right. when you write it yeah because if i just went off the top of my head i could talk about this situation for about two or three hours easily and i just don't want to i could talk you know um i i had a recent sort of scare with with my grandmother i'm really close to her and and she's up there in age and and i i truthfully honestly do feel like you know probably isn't a lot of time that she has left. And, you know, realizing that is, is, is tough, but you know, that that's reality. It's easier when you're able to see it coming, you know, like even, even though my dad was only 63 years old, it's like, well, when, when you have other instances, like with your own, with, you know, with my, with my father's one is just so distant from me. It's almost like he's not even there. He's there. Like I could call him and talk to him, but it just seems like there isn't really. There's not really much of a connection. And the other, I'm is is slipping away, and in a way that I can't do anything about. So I know what's going on, but it, it it's just it's just that that's in essence I'm dealing with another uh, death, but it, it's one that's still happening while somebody's still. Well, I can tell you, man, like even even when my dad was in, I mean, dude, they gave him like like 
not last Friday, but the Friday before last, my dad went into the hospital with severe back pains and he had had back pains mm-hmm. for the last two weeks before that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, dude, it went from like, I knew my dad wasn't healthy, but there was nothing terminally wrong with him. And then yeah. two Fridays ago, he, you know, I wake up Saturday and I got all these texts from my mom and brother. My mom's saying, hey, honey, call me when you wake up. And then my brother is sending another text saying, dad's in the hospital for his gallbladder. No, nothing serious. No need to worry. So by the time I call them, the news had transformed from, oh, well, it's not his gallbladder. It's this. And then it transformed from, well, it's not this. It could be cancer. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday we get, you know, I go in and visit him. And he's in the hospital bed and he's a little zonked out on pain medication, which is honestly a form I'm very used to seeing my dad in, in my late teens and early 20s. He was always zonked out on some kind of pain pill or muscle relaxer. And I was I was used to him looking like that. That was not a surprise. And in the bits of consciousness that he did have, I'm like, hey, so you're not going to die on me, right? Like, you're you're fine. He's like, no, son, I'm not going to die. He's like, one day I'm going to die, but so will you and this, that, and the other. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I, I uh-huh. left Sunday feeling pretty good about the whole thing. And then my mom talks to me that night, and she's pretty much saying that there's, you know, the doctors are all but saying there's nothing they can do for him. And he's mm-hmm. they're pretty much going to make the last however long he has left as comfortable as possible. And hearing those fucking words going to make the last of what he has left as comfortable as possible. I mean, that is all mm-hmm. that is euphemisms all over the place for. Yeah, he's going to die soon. Yeah, that's when I that that's it, it's something that, you know, is inevitable. But there's really no way you can actively prepare for it. And that's when I started freaking out because. I'm yeah. like, this doesn't happen to me. This, My family, yeah. what we have at my parents' house when I go there, and my dad takes naps with my niece, and he plays with the dog, this is holy territory to me. This is precious uh-huh. to me. This shall not be fucked with. You can, God, universe, whoever, you can fuck with anything else in my life, but don't fuck with that. And that was fucked with. And, and I feel yep. so offended and angry and sad and upset but at the same time angry at my dad for not taking better care of himself and it's just this mixture of emotions and you know then monday rolls around and you know my mom texts me god bless her she's trying the best she can but i wish the communication had been a little different she texted you wish it was like calling she was she called i wish she had called she texts me yeah, he has liver cancer. The prognosis is one to three months, but that's just a general prognosis. He could live longer than that. That was Monday. By Thursday, I'm like, I'm going to come over there and visit because he's back at, at the house at that point. My mom's like, I don't know, honey. He's really, you know, out of it. And I'm like, well, I'm used to seeing him out of it, you know. And she's like, well, I think they're going to be calling hospice in soon. And I'm like, What? What happened to one to three months? And she's like, I, I know he's just going downhill so fast. So I went over there and saw him and he was zonked out. But, you know, he 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 at some point because we were outside talking about everything. We came back in and he was standing on his feet. His eyes were open. He was awake and he was 
I would say he was like 50% conscious, 50% there. And I just took that opportunity as the last time I was probably going to be able to say goodbye to them. And, and uh-huh. really, so I hugged the shit out of him and just started crying my eyes out. And I was like, I love you very much. And basically told him, I said, hey, man, like, even if you die, we are still connected. I just want you to know that, okay? Yeah. Like, even when you die, we are still connected and you know he i think he got the the gist of what i was saying he, he yep. was rubbing my back trying to console me telling me everything was going to be okay and i'm just crying more because i'm like dude i'm about to lose a father how can you tell me everything's okay but i know he i know that it was hard for him what the fuck is he supposed to tell me you know like hey man shit happens you know um but you know we were able to talk to him enough and he said you know i'm my brother asked him you know while he was still coherent he's he's like are you ready to go and he shook his head he said yes i'm right with the lord i'm ready to go mm-hmm. and all that and mm-hmm. um then friday rolls around last friday and uh i was gonna go over there but my brother was like dude he's he's in he's just he's not awake he's totally out of it he's he's laboring in his breathing he's making awful sounds and so i waited i said okay well you know let me know when i should come over and then few hours later he he you know he called me up and he said you know what call this is and he was you could tell he'd been crying mm-hmm. and yeah. so i cried and at home by myself which by mm-hmm. the way i was very thankful to be by myself because nobody needs to hear me cry i was like this wasn't just crying this was yelling this was ah! it was that kind of yeah. shit and i i i i know I know what that's like. I mean, when I first had dealt with the first uh, uh, instance with 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 uh, one of my fathers, it was just I couldn't. I was in the same boat. Yeah, like it was. I just mean, devastating. You, there's so much emotion in you that is just so much bad feelings that it just has. It's emotional vomiting, is what it is. You got to get mm-hmm. it. Got to get that poison out of you. I'm I'm glad that you're 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 willing and able to talk about it though. Yeah, because that's that's really healthy. Oh, I'm very like there's a lot of people. I know, and a lot of people like, I mean, even things way less serious than this, they don't even want to talk about it. I'm just, I've always mm-hmm. been like, why? I don't know. Like, I've just always been very open about my life, and and people might be hearing me and think, oh, Josh, you sound so fine and normal, and and you know, I'd like to think to a certain degree. It's like, yeah, guys, that's what I want to be. I want to be normal and I want to go back to my normal life. I don't want to be treated differently. I had to make a post on Facebook because so many people that I that I just didn't even know kept like yeah. messaging me and asking me. I, I think what that is, is it's a, 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 a societal construction. It's a construction by society and, and by our culture. It, it's something that when someone experiences a loss... It's been customary for someone to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Right. I understand. How are you doing? And so on and so forth. I think that's what that is. But And it's just so deeply ingrained in our society and in our media and all these other things that it's... That it's it's almost second nature to, to people. The hard They part- feel like if they don't do that, then they would feel bad about themselves right. I, as if they don't and I care. I get that. I, I understand that 110%. Uh, the, the, the hard part about that is for the person on the grieving end, when I'm getting out of bed and I'm getting on the computer and I'm planning a script for a YouTube video 
And uh, you don't want to be reminded. Right. Of, of, I'm of, living of my normal life. I'm doing a podcast. Yeah. I'm doing this, that, and the other. I'm at a gig, and I'm getting people messaging me on my phone. Yeah. How you doing? How's it? You? How are you holding up? And I'm like, I was doing fine until you mess <laughs> until you messaged me, yeah. and now I got to tell you about all this crap again. And and you know, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I, maybe it'll hit me later on. I got sad last night thinking about it and hasn't even been a week yeah. yet, you know, but I mean, I, I don't want to cry. It's one of those things that, where you just take as much time as you need. Yeah. It, it, there's, there's no time. But see, frame. the thing about it is like what I couldn't imagine. I can't imagine when people say take as much time as you need. I can't imagine just stopping all my, my life. Just, stopping the podcast stopping my videos stopping the music just stop what am i fucking supposed to do lay in bed and stare at the ceiling all day and cry well for, well for some people that's that's how they're able to cope with things a little bit better where they have they can focus on that the trauma and and how to handle it like some people are they're they're not able to to multitask when they're dealing with that kind of thing yeah i understand like there are some that. people who would probably not go back to school at all and try to finish their term after they got hit by a car. They'd just be like, I I'm terrified of walk going across the street or doing anything or just uh essentially becoming an agof uh, agor agoraphobic for a while. Yeah, because they're just afraid of leaving the house. I just wanna like that's not what I happened in my that, in my case. I, I wanna stress that like I'm not judging anybody else out there if you've lost somebody or you yourself mm -hmm. are dealing with some shit. I know that. But I'm just, yeah. this is all, all this portion of the podcast is, is just me spe speaking for me, for Josh. Yeah. This is how I feel about it. And, you know, I've been told. And I respect that. I, I respect that a lot. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other listeners that, that feel the same way. At least you're being honest and truthful to how you were feeling. Yeah right now and i mean i just feel like it doesn't do anybody any good of me keeping this to myself when they could be they could be suffering right now they could be going through yeah. something and i had some advantages in my situation you know I, like i said before i live on my own i've i've been in this insular bubble for the past year mm -hmm. and a half i don't live with my dad i didn't see him decline i you know i kept myself mm -hmm. very emotionally detached in a lot of ways um, and then secondly, like I said, I've, man, I, I had nightmares about my dad dying for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly worried about his health and I was just waiting for the big one really. And, and the big one is, is it, is it a little bit, it, it, were you expecting relief from that? I've at, at some I've point, found... because you always have these nightmare, you had these nightmares and then, and then when it finally happens, I found that there is a, a, just a slight amount of relief in that yeah. you know he's not in pain anymore there's no reason to have the night there's no reason to have right. the nightmares he's anymore. not in pain anymore you know i'm not he's he's i mean dude this guy like i said i'm gonna remember him as he was 15 years ago because he, you know uh -huh. we had great memories in in the in the last years he was alive and i mean he was my concert buddy we went to all these concerts together and, you know, like I said, he he is a music fiend and, and so am I. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, but the thing is, though, like, yeah, you'd get one of those moments out of the hundred other moments where he just was sitting on his recliner in the living room, just watching TV, not really, you know, just kind of wasting away. And 
You know, you, you yeah. have a conversation with him and he always find a way to turn it back on himself and his problems. I mean, it could be the craziest thing. We could be like, yeah, Allison Chains, man. Yeah, they're, they're such a good rock band. Yeah, I know, Bubba, they're a really good band. And, you know, Lane Staley dry, died of drug addiction. That's a real shame. And and that's like me with my addictions, you know, and, and, and my pain and, you know, every day and blah, blah, blah. And then it, as before you know it, it's like we've talked about him for the last 20 minutes. It's like, how did we start off talking about Alice in Chains, the rock band, and now we're talking about your back, you know, and it's just like that's how he was and and i that's the part of is that the the part of the relief for you that's the part is that's that? the part of the relief because it's like i know he wasn't fucking happy for so long and yeah. he and and that's why and i told my brother this i said man if it wasn't for lena my niece if it wasn't for her being around my dad's death would be a lot easier but good mm. god she loved him and he was so good to her and he put all his bullshit aside when she was around and he was just so amazing to her. Yeah. And um, I made a picture of him that I took in my photography class back in college um, se- about seven years ago. It was a portrait and it was like a very solemn looking portrait. But like he said something perverted and I start we both started laughing and I snapped the picture right at, mm-hmm. right as he was laughing. And it's just such a good picture, uh, such a good embodiment of how I want to remember my dad. I personally have a picture myself that I have in my closet. I can't look at it right now. It's just, it's too hard. But uh, yeah. I gave a copy to my brother and oh my God, man, my niece has been looking at that picture. She carries it around. Mm-hmm. She, she loved him so much and she missed, and that's the true, mm-hmm. you know, that's the true sadness is her missing out on how awesome he was. But hey man, you know, uh, you know, you, all the all the cliche, throw in all the cliche statements right here. Life goes on. Keep yourself busy. It's going to be sad for a while. The darkest before the dawn, you know, all cliches. It can't rain all the right, time. Yeah. Throwing all the cliches here. And, you know, again, it's going to affect me down the road and blah, blah. But I plan on keeping my shit on track and on schedule because I feel like that's the healthiest and, and way for me. Yeah. And, and don't be afraid of like if if something happens and just doing things as uh, they are right now, as if things are normal, ends up not working, or if you have, like, a breakdown or something later, like, don't be afraid to, like, uh, maybe, you know, go talk to a therapist or or somebody about it, you know? At least somebody who actually, you know, knows what they're doing. Yeah, I haven't had had any good experiences (laughs) with therapists my whole life, but maybe maybe I can (laughs) give it another try. I would say don't give, don't entirely give up. Maybe do some research online, look up uh, reviews of certain therapists and stuff like that before you uh, really decide to do anything. Um, I'm just speaking from personal experience. I would not be where I am today without all of the help that I've had from various different therapists over the years. Yeah. So, um, well, my main thing is I'm a Scientologist, so we don't believe in therapists and therapy. (laughs) So that's why I I don't like therapists. You believe in talking to Zenu? Yeah. Well, straight to the source. Yeah, I talk to Hubbard, and you know, I go and you 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 call up Miscavige on the phone, and he talks about oh the amount of the amount of money I've spent on auditing sessions since my dad's past (laughs) has been insane. I mean, I just feel like there's. Just, just th- bad thetans all in my body now. That, that's that's a good way to to handle things too. Is is with is with a smile. Yeah, you know, you know, it, it's it's not for everybody. And 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 I think and if you just constantly go through, see, you're you're a different uh, person when it comes to how you handle it. Like there are other people who just like put on a smile and act like everything's okay, and 
but you realize that things are not okay right now and you're working on making things as good as they possibly can be right now but you're also looking at things and being not afraid to laugh and 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 that's that's a big part of how how you can eventually learn to live with it right because if you just constantly are just like always upset and depressed about it that's not going to help right and then if you're constantly always happy and 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 uh just uh smiley about it that's not going to help either it's like it's like it's it's a result of somebody like hiding you're you're hiding some you can't yeah you can't hide from the pain you can't run from the pain i literally right when i found out he passed away i literally got on my drum set and just beat the shit out of them and that's a good then i ran on the treadmill like literally like right after i ran on the i was literally running away from and it it Mm -hmm. helped but then i had to go to the house you know after they had had removed him well you were you were actively trying that that, that's a very uh i i think it's a pretty intriguing uh statement there like uh that you were you were actively trying to run away. Yeah. Well, then I, then when I had to go to my parents' house right after they moved him out of there and took him away, I saw the shirt that he wore that day to his doctor's appointment. Because this mm-hmm. is how fucking fast he died. They, they took him to a doctor's appointment yeah. that day because they thought he had... That's how much more time they thought he fucking had. And I, mm-hmm. I, I walked into his room and saw his stuff and saw that shirt, and I just clutched that shirt yeah. and just was mm-hmm. just... Oh, my God. I... I, I I just like I feel bad man because my bandmate Stephanie was there <laughs> oh, oh. I was like you're gonna hear me ugly cry just to let you know and I did not disappoint I delivered all the ugly crying just wailing mm-hmm. and yeah it was bad but it was good though it was I mean it's it's better to let it oh out my god you know because just you know have a cathartic uh, in the moment you feel so fucking sad and so bad and all that as you're crying but man, I'm telling you once you get that really good cry out you mm-hmm. unpack so much of that negative emotion and it's so healing if you don't it's oh if you don't you have a heart attack when you're 40 years old if you don't <laughs> I don't see how people can hold that shit in I was concerned for my brother because well that that leads to people who they, they have their own breakdowns they you know they have mental breakdowns they they uh just explode it, it comes out either way yeah. you know find find an outlet for it uh sometime and ho- hopefully you know sooner rather than later because it's gonna come well, out that's why i was like anytime i felt sad when it was happening i made sure i cried because i did not want to carry it over to another i wanted to let it out as soon as it hit me and i have and i feel like that i feel like that's why i'm able to do this today is because of the amount of crying mm-hmm. I've done, and and that's you know the whole key. And there's there's you know there's no shame in that either. I mean there there's a certain stigma that's associated, especially for men, with, man, with uh, for men, yeah. yeah, showing showing emotions, showing showing weakness. If you ask me, that's showing strength, being able to let that yeah. out and and not be afraid to do that. All right, guys. Anyway, this is running a little long. I got to get to my gig on time. If you want to follow me and Mike on YouTube, you can do so separately. We're, we're not together on YouTube, but uh, you can find Mike at YouTube.com slash OCP Communications. He does movies. What was the last movie you reviewed, Mike? Uh, Last movie I reviewed. Well, I, I did I did review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
And then I, I recently posted a sort of like a uh, off-the-cuff rant video sort of essay on MoviePass and how I uh, labeled it the entertainment industry's Icarus because it's 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 falling down to earth right <laughs> nice. now. It's, it's, really, it's really crashing. That sounds like a video that burning. could potentially get a lot of views. That's eh, not doing well. Well, you can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Um, I actually, true to the namesake of the channel, I last thing I released was two acoustic performances of uh, some more favorite dancing with ghost songs. So I, me and Stephanie do acoustic performances, breaking down all the electronics and all the filters and distortion. It's just me, Stephanie, guitar, and the human voice. So that's on my channel. Uh, I will be, re be releasing a vlog very soon about my uh, full breakdown of the Smashing Pumpkins concert I saw Wednesday in Tampa. Some positive news. Um, that must have been a, a, a really crazy tonal shift. Maybe. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, it was because I had a blast Wednesday and then Thursday that bullshit happened. And then Friday, my dad passes away. So it's it was yeah. and and. And don't think I don't feel a little guilt for going to that concert instead of staying at home and being with them. But, you know, I don't know. I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, my you don't need to feel my dad would have 100 percent wanted me to go to that concert instead of sit around while he's zonked out on his pain medications. But anyway, that vlog will be coming up soon. Um, oh, Dancing with Ghosts band T-shirts are here. The link will be in the description. Our description is getting ever more bloated with more and more links. But if you support <laughs> my band at all, if you like my band at all, we have brand new Dancing with Ghost shirts. They look amazing, a thousand times better than the old design. Uh, please get on that. The The shirt material is of a very nice quality, um, even better than the Uncovering Unexplained Mystery shirts. This is a higher uh, level um, fabric. It's very soft and comfy. Um, so check those shirts out and pick one up if you're interested in that. Um, and then, of course, the podcast shirts are still available as well. Um, so, yeah, that is the podcast for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And until next time, I bid you adieu. See ya. Hot rain. <laughs> hot rain what could that be that's obviously something obviously the decade for that term would be the 80s i mean we know that yeah hot rain but i mean it, it's the opposite of uh it's well not the opposite it's a different version of that chocolate rain remember that song oh that was yeah i remember popular chocolate one rain point in time? some stay dry and others feel the pain chocolate rain it, it makes more sense if it's hot rain some stay dry and others feel the pain <laughs> Just might as well call it dad joke rain at that point. <laughs> dad joke rain. Oh, my finger. There's a quarter behind your ear. Dad joke rain. Uh, well, there's probably a lot of listeners who don't even remember what that even was. Or you think if that so? Was even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, I think there's a lot of listeners who wouldn't know it. A, because all the older people out there didn't really start fucking with the internet until like every, literally everybody was on the internet. Then they kind of had to yeah. relent. But still, still there's some people like my grandma, not on Facebook, not doing any of that. 
That sucks. So, that's, yeah. That really sucks that I can't friend request your grandma. Because <laughs> I would. I would if I could. <laughs> what can I say, man? I'm into gilfs. So, so, so you're, so you're uh, one of those uh, guys who's into some silver foxes, huh? You're like that guy in My Strange Addiction. Oh, that H3H3 video. Yeah. Yeah, that was sick, man. What the fuck? <laughs> Ugh. God, you know those old ladies are happy, though. Yep. That's like um, what seems to be a lot more common, those old, fat, gross guys who have these, like, young, hot, like, almost stripper-looking girlfriends, and you know that it's all about the money. Exactly. Have you seen there's this uh, meme uh, circulating about this guy who's a neckbeard, and it's showing his profile, dating profile or whatever, and then it shows an exchange he has with a woman, and he's like, m'lady, and all this other shit. It's uh-huh. so cringe-inducing. Oh, I haven't seen that. I want to see it. I love neckbeard stuff. Ugh. It's because I think neckbeards are so funny because they're so they're so awesomely pathetic that it. Inter- I think a lot of them they have a pretty serious form of autism or something, so they don't know how to interact socially. Yeah, but like That's my what, particular what, what line do you draw when someone just sucks at being social and they actually have a disorder? You know what I mean? Like just because somebody doesn't have autism well so well some of them do they're just they're just really bad at, at, at like i know this on one guy media. like i went to i went to college with this one guy named sid and this guy did not have autism uh of any kind and he just thought you know he was overweight he was balding at a young age uh-huh. you know he's just on a well uh, some people are just delusional straight up well, he just thought he had it all. He was kind of like he's he subscribed to a lot of that dating artist shit, you know, like, oh, oh if yeah. you want to if you want to get a hot girl to like you, go up to him and start pointing out all their flaws and start this, that and the other. And it's like, <laughs> good luck with that shit. <laughs> I mean, I just blows my mind, dude. I mean, why? There's no way that works. I guarantee if I tried to do that right now, I'd get slapped in the face or just yelled at or ignored well, I mean, or it's I'd like, get nowhere. If the, if, the wom- if the woman in that situation wanted to play on that same level of dirty tricks, she could be like, well, look at you, you fucking fat ass, balding, you know, early, early male pattern baldness having living in your mom's basement, motherfucker. You don't even get pussy. I get laid all the time. And, yeah. you know, and I pro- <laughs> because I'm attractive, I probably have a decent job, too, because that's the cruel way the universe seems yeah, to fucking work. Sad. Especially in retail. Um, I, I, I've heard stories from friend of, friends of mine who can't even get an interview because they're not going to hire men. Well, that, that, and then you got, like, the... Because wit- men don't smile enough. Men aren't personable enough, apparently. Right. We're all a bunch of angry sourpusses, according to a lot of different retail chains, which is ridiculous. Well, no, I, well, for me, that is true. And that, like, I, I don't... I don't think it's true. No, like, I don't... I can smile and be as personable as the next person can be. I, for me, it's very difficult. It, it's it's always I been. understand. Well, not no, not not recently, not because of recent events. I mean, it's just always been. No, no, no. I mean, always. You know, I you've we've talked about it before. It's just just kind of how how you are. You yeah, know, with the I resting mean, bitch resting face bitch thing. face is my default. Yeah.
Uh, that, You're telling me apart, Lisa. I rewatched that like a few nights ago, and the dialogue is just, you can tell that it was written by someone whose first language was not English. Well, it also has like some of the worst tone possible because even like something like discussing cancer is just done in the way in a way that's just so nonchalant. You can't help but laugh at it. I'm dying. No, you're not, mother. The test came back. I definitely have breast cancer. And then they just move (laughs) on to the next thing. Like what? And like the responses are not responses human beings would give. Like, Tommy Wiseau would, uh, like, the shit, his responses, she'll be like, whatever, Tommy, I just don't care anymore. And then he'll just be like, you know, you're thinking too much about it, whatever. Or, like, I, <laughs> just, like, it's like. Or, or when he's, like, he's, 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 like, getting pissed off. He's like, I did not, I did not hit a, and then he throws the fucking water bottle, and then Mark shows up. He's like, oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> so... And it's just in the golden, the goldness about this movie is this, this motherfucker's for real. Yeah. Like Tommy was It's not intentionally bad. It's not an intentional, so bad it's good movie. It's not a comedy. That's what makes it so bad it's good for a lot of people is because of the fact that it was, it's genuine and it's all this is intentionally written the way. It is. It's uh, completely supposed to be taken with a straight face, and it's impossible to do that because of how tone deaf it is and how uh, bad the acting is. I feel like uh, when this movie, I feel like, is more of a biography about Tommy Wiseau than it is about anything else because it shows just how much Tommy Wiseau wants to be an American and loves America and and loves, you know, grew up watching American dramas and American movies. And and he's making what he feels like is the perfect, like, American drama, you know, complete with his his dramatic suicide at the end. And it just comes off as like it comes off it comes off as a foreigner's interpretation of what an american movie is that would be like if i did a bollywood movie but i really tried to do it right you know me josh cannon i'm not making fun of it i'm not doing the ridiculous accent i'm really trying to make a legit bollywood movie and then i showed it to a bunch of people in india who have grown up watching bollywood movies they would be like what is this like it's it's kind of like a movie but you miss so many things about our culture and our our language yeah. patterns and that's what the room is to me and I, the that's, best the best double feature with the room is the disaster artist yes that's a must watch after you've seen the room uh I, it really is that was a really good movie i mean i actually like the disaster artist more than the room i think yeah i think i do too honest. yeah because the room i can watch it as like a so bad it's good movie but at times it can get really boring and like really bad to the point where it isn't always funny. There are other times it's just totally incompetent to the point it's just it's kind of irritating. But with the disaster artist, there's there's more to it. It's yeah. about the making of the film and and Tommy was so himself and and good and lord um that sort of stuff. Oh, what's his face? Um, he played Tom- James Franco. James Franco. Wow, what what you know? Who would have thought that he would have had that range? You know. 
Yeah, he was essentially robbed of an Oscar nomination for that, in my opinion, because of some bullshit controversy on social media about some sexual assault allegation, which to this day is not entirely founded. Oh, yeah, well, that was the heat and the height of that Me Too stuff, so... But it's still going on. Yeah, still going on, I mean, but, I mean, but dude, it was like every fucking week it was a new person. Look, and, what, look what happened to James Gunn, like, tweets he did eight to ten years ago ended up getting him fired. I saw the tweets and I'm just like, yeah, dude, I went to high school too. You know, I made dumb jokes too, you know. Well, it, he's not a kid, you know. He's a, he's a grown man, you know. Grown grown men don't make the same mistakes. Well, grown uh, let men me tell you what, eight, evolve and eight change years ago, over the years, eight years ago, like, <laughs> it, it, words can't describe just how different the social media landscape and people's sensitivity levels were eight years ago. I mean, it's like night and day now. Yeah. I mean, Twitter was a shit posting platform. That's essentially what he was. He was just shit posting. Yeah, he was. He was doing what people on 4chan would do today, but right. on Twitter. Right. 